And I'm glad each one of you are here uh, this morning. And of course, this is Palm Sunday. And uh, make sure when you leave, you get a palm. I mean, it's something, it's like a tradition. And I remember since I was a child, I'd grab my palm. And there's a way you can take one of those palm leaves and make it into a cross. And I always put it up in, in our house. And then every year I, I change it. Doesn't, it's just kind of a tradition, but it's fun. And we normally don't pass the palms out at the beginning as you're coming in because we're afraid people take the palms and tickle the person in front of them and, you know, things like that. So we try to wait until you leave. And, uh, of course, Palm Sunday uh, is um, a celebration of the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, which was a sign of conquering. All kings would ride into a kingdom they'd conquered on a donkey. And the people threw palm leaves in front of him, branches in front of him, which was a sign of honoring the king, yelling, Hosanna to King David in the highest, praising God because the Messiah had come. And so it's a very special day. And, of course, these same people that were out celebrating his coming into Jerusalem, uh, not even a week later would crucify him. And, of course, next week we're celebrating Easter, which is uh, the celebration of his resurrection from the dead. And because of that, next week we're going to be doing something a little different. And uh, in between services next week, we're going to have a brunch. We're busting out the propane grill, and Pastor Frank Jr. has volunteered to do it. We're going to have a pancake and sausage brunch downstairs between services. And so uh, make sure after church you plan on staying uh, after and going down. And if you know people who come to the second service, tell them to come early so that they can enjoy it as well. So if you'd open your Bibles along with me to to Exodus chapter 34. Oh, and also next week we're going to, it's only one time a year we do this. We're breaking from going through Exodus. And uh, Pastor Junior and I are both going to be uh, teaching on the resurrection because the resurrection is the very means of our faith. If there were no resurrection, Scripture tells us our faith would be in vain. And because Jesus rose from the dead as the first fruit, it is the promise that we also will rise from the dead, either at death or at the rapture. We'll be taken up to meet the Lord in the air. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for your word, because your word is true. Your word is the only answer to life. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would uh, come and be among us this morning by your Holy Spirit, ministering your word and your truth to our hearts. Because, Lord, we realize that without you we have nothing, and with you we have everything. And so I pray, Father, that you would minister to every need we have, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about the teaching this morning and the futility of man. Uh, you know, we, there's a scientific principle that says water will always seek the lowest level. You guys know that one, right? Well, here's the thing. Without the Lord, without the Holy Spirit, man always seeks the lowest level. It's really just the way it goes. And I was remembering uh, during my undergraduate work when I was in college, uh, a couple of different courses that I took, and I was thinking of philosophy. And philosophy is trying to come up with an idea or the reason that man even exists. What is our reason? What is our purpose? And um, I remember our philosophy professor used to have all these profound things that he would tell us that had such meaning it would change your heart and your life. I remember one time he said to us, he said, I'd like to have any one of you run around a tree three times without thinking about a fox. 
That was like deep. But the reality of it is no one can because the very fact you're running around the tree would make you think of the fox. So anyway, philosophy is trying to understand the reason for life. And then we have psychology, which literally means the study of the soul. And they're trying to figure out, you know, how, what is the answer for all of the soul's problems? Well, the thing is, for the philosopher and for the psychologist, I have the answer, Jesus. He's the reason for life, and he's the answer for all of our problems. And um, that's one of the things that we have to realize is that we, as Christians, our, our very uh, title that we give ourselves as believers, Christians, means Christ ones, belonging to Christ. And it was in Antioch, it was the first time that believers were called Christians, Christ ones, belonging to Christ. <clears throat> now, one of the things that we have to realize in relationship with sin, like, for instance, the very first sin that we read about being committed was in the garden, and it was committed by who? Adam and Eve. Actually, it was Eve, and she tempted her husband into sin. But anyway, um, that's, from, that's from Corinthians. But anyway, um, Adam and Eve both sinned. Now, the thing we have to understand is there is no sin in the fruit. And the reason I say fruit is apples don't grow in that part of the world. It doesn't tell us what kind of fruit it was. But there was no sin in the fruit. In other words, there wasn't some sin germinating in the fruit, you know, waiting, you know, waiting to infect the body. The sin was in the heart of making a choice against God's command, against God's love for them. And that was the sin, disobedience, willful disobedience to God's love. And so we have to understand that the Lord gives us commands and he gives us, you know, his word, not to try to make life difficult for us, but to make it easy. Because to follow his word and to follow his ways brings the greatest joy, you know, that any of us can ever experience. It demonstrates his love for us and our obedience demonstrates our love for him. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 15, it says this, if you love me, Jesus is speaking to the people. He says, he says, if, that's conditional conjunction. In other words, if you love me, he says, you will obey what I command. And this is one of the ways that we partner with him in his love and in his purpose for life, by loving him. We love him because he first loved, loved us, and the agape love, the unconditional love that he puts in our heart, we're able to give to others because it's unconditional. Why are you loving me? Just because I am. What do I have to do? Nothing. Just accept the love that I'm giving to you. And that's what Jesus did for us. Just ex accept the love I'm giving to you. <clears throat> and realizing all this helps us understand portions of scripture like we're going to be studying this morning because they might seem difficult to understand but in reality when in in light of what i just shared with you i think it becomes easier to comprehend so if you'd open your bibles along with me to i think you already have done that in exodus exodus 34 and we're picking up with verse 10 and one of the things i i want you to notice as we're reading this how many times god is making it it clear it's he that does it you know what we have to offer to god nothing you know what he has to offer to us everything so then what is our responsibility just accept it what he's offered to us and he said behold i 
make a covenant before all the people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, uh, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are, you are, uh, you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Notice, it's the Lord. He's doing it. Verse 11. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. Now, wooden images, if you have a study Bible, will tell you that what's being talked about there is the Asherah pole. Now, um, Asher was the mother goddess. She was considered the mother of God. And so the Asherah pole was usually a a statue of a woman and uh, sometimes holding a child as being the mother of mankind. And um, so these are the things that they were told, you know, that they need, need to tear down. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. The word there for jealous is kana. And what it literally means, it means zealous to the point of anger. In other words, God is saying, you're mine. And I'll tell you what, I'm angry for anyone that tries to take you out of my hands. And that's why it tells us it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Because if you're going against God and you're taking and and bringing distortion of who he is, of his person, to people, God's going to be angry with you because he's a jealous God. Now, verse 14. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord your God, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Verse 15. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they play the harlot with the gods and make sacrifices uh, to their gods and one of them invites you and you eat of the, his sacrifice and you take of his daughters for your sons and his daughters play the harlot with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. You shall make no molded gods for yourself the Feast of Unleavened Bread you shall keep. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, as I commanded you in the appointed time of the month of Ibid. And uh, for in the month of Ibid you, shall, uh, you came out of Egypt. Now, understand, whenever the Bible talks about leaven, it's analogous to sin. A little leaven leavens the whole loaf. You allow a little sin in your life, and it just blossoms to a lot of sin. So when he told the children of Israel the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they would go through the house with feathers and remove all leaven from the house. And the reason for it was is it was representative of sin. And it was the idea of us being willing to allow the Holy Spirit to go through our heart to remove sin. Verse 19, All that open the womb are mine, and every male uh, firstborn among your livestock, whether ox or sheep. But the firstborn of a donkey... You shall redeem with the lamb, and if you will not redeem him, then you shall break his neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. You know, we have to understand that the Sabbath 
the Shabbat, that what the Lord has given us on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, Sunday, is a gift from God. And it's a gift of resting from all of the trials and difficulties and things of this world and being immersed in, and, 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 you know, in the Word of God and all of His truth. But it's also important for us to realize we need to rest. Now, it doesn't mean in a legalistic way, right after church, I expect every one of you to go home and just lay on the couch. I mean, during football season, that's pretty natural. But, um, you know, the, the point is, what brings you rest? Is it walking down the Erie Canal? It's, it's what is, you know, normally very different from what you do in life. But it's important for all of us to have rest. I remember years ago, I had a, a cardiologist when I first started dealing with high blood pressure and like that. And, one of her, and she wasn't a believer, but one of the things she said to me, she said, and she, she had an accent, she said, Frank? <laughs> she said, you have to take one day a week where you just rest. She said, it's so important for the body, you know, to, to build up its immune system and this and that. And so God is telling us, and it's more for spiritual reasons, to take one day, we just rest from all the trials of the world. What a wonderful thing to come into the fellowship of believers and hear the word of God. Allow the Holy Spirit to be immersed into your very soul. And then to be able to go home and just just rest. I'm not doing my normal work. And whatever it is that you enjoy with your family and, and even personally, maybe reading a book, whatever it might be, taking a walk, it's a wonderful thing. Now, then it goes on, and it says, In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. Verse 22. And you shall observe the feast of weeks, of the first fruits of the wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year, all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you, and in larger borders, Neither will any man covet your land when you go out to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. So in other words, he's saying when everyone comes to, to appear before me these three times and they're leaving their land and their property, don't worry about it. God's going to watch over it. Verse 25, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. Once again, you don't make sacrifices to the Lord mixed with sin. You know what I'm saying? Our, our sacrifices to the Lord should be pure and from the heart. Nor shall the sacrifices of the feast of the Passover be left until morning. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. You might be thinking, why is that in there? Because it's just so inhumane to do that. And uh, God is making a point here, which we'll get into later. Then the Lord said to Moses, write these words, for according to the, to the um, tenor of the words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now, the Lord starts off by clearly stating that he's making a covenant with the people. Now, a covenant is an agreement made between two people, either as a peace treaty or a covenant to work together between two people. That's what a covenant is. We call it the marriage covenant. 
when a couple make the vows to one another, they're committing their life together. And as believers, we're committing our life together in the Lord. And by the way, just not to get off topic here, but that's where Pastor Junior, Pastor Frank Junior is today. As many of you know, um, Marty and Jill Putman from our fellowship, their daughter Shana is getting married. Actually today, which is funny, her, her uh, future husband's youth pastor, but they're in Ohio, and that's where, and Frank, Pastor Frank Jr. is doing the wedding, and so that's where they are, and all of his girls are in the wedding party. The little girls are flower girls, and the older girls are bridesmaids, so they're pretty, pretty psyched about it. And um, so anyway, I mentioned marriage covenant, and all of a sudden it made me think of that, and some of you might be thinking, where's Pastor Frank Jr.? Well, that's where he is, and he'll be back next week. <clears throat> now, Anyway, a covenant, like I said, is made between two people. But here's the thing. The covenant God desires to make with us, we're not capable of keeping any part of it. So the covenant God makes with us is one-sided. He makes the covenant, he makes the promise, and he does it. It's all him. It's not a matter of, well, I've got to do my part. Well, the only part we can do is just surrender. Surrender, surrender, surrender. How can I live a more righteous and holy life? Surrender. How can I be a better person? Surrender. Just surrender to the will and the purpose of God. Now, I love a portion that we read about in Genesis chapter 15, 17 through 18, and we already covered this a while back, and it's when God was making a, a covenant with Abraham. And it was really what we call the Abrahamic covenant. It was the beginning of the law. It was the beginning of God's relationship with man. Now, it's interesting, in, in that time of history, the tradition was is that you would take a sacrifice and cut it in half. And you'd put half on one altar and half on the other altar. And then you would offer that as a sacrifice to God. And the two people who were making a covenant would hold hands and hold a torch and walk between the covenant, you know, the sacrifice together, indicating that this was a covenant that two people were making together. But here's what we read in Genesis chapter 15 and verses 17 through 18. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. And so Abraham was asleep and God walked through and he made the covenant. He made the promise. You know what that means to you and I? It's all him. How do I know I'm going to heaven? It's all him. How do I know I'm saved? It's all him. How do I know I'm forgiven for my sin? It's all him. It's his promise. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's all him. How wonderful that is. He did it all. All we have to do is receive it. Because only God is capable of keeping the covenant that he makes with us. <clears throat> and then in this portion, God also promises us victories over all of our enemies. The victory that he alone is capable of giving. Now, if God has given us the victory, why then would we go back or even want to go back to the gods of our enemies? And that's the warning he's given them, giving them here when he says, don't go back and worship their gods and, and don't even get married to their, their daughters. Don't give your sons to their daughters because they'll pull your sons into worshiping these false gods. 
And so that's the point that he is making here. And um, so we have to realize as we look at this is that only God is capable of giving us what we're looking for. And he tells us not to go back to all the pagan gods of the ites, you know, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and so forth. And um, because all the ites, all they worshipped were pagan gods. And they were pagan in all their ways. And when you look at the, uh, at the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and so forth, and, and all those nations around there, they were vile. They were vile. It's just like in Sodom. Homosexuality became a demanded right. Remember when the two angels, you know, went into Sodom? And all the men of Sodom surrounded Lot's house and said, literally said, we want those men to come out so that we may know them. You know what that means. We have kids. That we may know them. And it was not only accepted, but it was hostile, you know, it was in a hostile way, it was pushed. And the, 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 just the immorality of, of Sodom is just one example, was just horrific. Any sin that a man could imagine, he did. And one of the things that many people aren't aware of, that all these ites that we're talking about here, and including the, you know, the Sodomites and, and, and so forth, one of the things that they did is they offered babies as sacrifice. They offered babies as sacrifice. They felt that this would please their God. And so, for instance, in um, uh, Baal, they would have a statue, a golden statue of Baal with his arms out like this and the hollow stomach, and they'd put a huge fire in it so that his arms would glow red. They'd put the babies in the arms. When they were building walls to defend the cities, in every corner they would put a baby. And we look at that and we think, oh, how awful those people were in those days. Well, brothers and sisters, that's us today. I mean, you think about the immorality that the political correctness makes it so you must accept it. For instance, like gender identity. I know about gender identity. I took anatomy and physiology. And what gender identity is, is you do a, a chromosome test, and if it's XX, you're a female. If it's XY, you're a male. And so I don't know where the confusion is. What's your, you know, what's your DNA? What's your, what are your chromosomes? Are you a male or you're a female? And so it's not a matter of, of well, identify with this. Maybe you do, but that's your problem. You know, you're not going to force, force it on me. But that's the way our nation is. If, if someone had a change, and I still refer to that um, she as a him or that him as a she, that's considered a hate crime. <clears throat> I mean, we're just, we're no different than these nations that Israel was going into. Look at where we have digressed to. And look at the babies that we sacrificed to the altar of convenience. I mean... There have been more babies put to death than any genocide ever, ever in history. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we have new hope that's coming here. But one of the things that we have to always keep in mind is that the Lord does give us new hope. Because there are women that were tricked into all the philosophies and beliefs of the world 
that had abortions. And here's the thing. If a woman has had an abortion, all she has to do is say, forgive me, Jesus. And guess what? Jesus forgives her, takes her sin as far as the east is from the west, and remembers it no more. It's gone. Sin is sin, right? All sin separates us from the love of God. So whatever the the sin is in our life, and we seek God's forgiveness for it, we're forgiven. And it's a wonderful thing that it's a continuous process. Take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. You know, I don't ever, I don't ever go to bed at night and say, you know what, Lord, I feel really good today because I know I've never committed one sin. I've never done that. You know, I, when, I, when I go to bed at night, I fall you know, on my face before the Lord, forgive me, Jesus, the sinner. And it's only then that we're justified. Now, one of the things that we have to realize, there's a very gross scripture in the Bible. It says, as a dog returns to its vomit, it's talking about a man will also return to his sin. And the Lord is reinforcing the fact that he's a jealous God. He doesn't want us to return to all the sins of our past. He wants us to move on. In 1 Corinthians 10.21, it says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. In other words, you can't be involved in, in all the sins of this world and then turn around and be involved in the things of God. I mean, you might be drawn into and you might fall to the sins of this world, but there's a big difference between that and literally living a lifestyle of sin. You follow what I'm saying? In... in um, in Scripture, when it talks about fornicators and liars and adulterers and so forth will not enter the kingdom of heaven, that's in the present continuous tense in the Greek. And what that means, it's not talking about a, talking about a person that just falls to that sin. It's talking about a person that's living that lifestyle of sin. That's what they do every day. That's what it's speaking of. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Biela? Or what part has the believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Do you understand we are the temple of the living God? The word uh, cardiac or heart means inner man. And he dwells within our heart, our cardiac. He dwells within our inner man. When you're born again, his spirit literally comes to take residence in your spirit. You're born again of the spirit. You belong to God. It's an awesome thing. And that's why he's saying you shouldn't combine the two. And um, verse 17, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now, when he talks about the fact that he's jealous for us, oftentimes we confuse jealousy with mistrust. There's a difference. For instance, um, every man should be jealous for his wife. Every wife should be jealous for her husband in the sense, I want my wife to be mine. I want my husband to be mine. 
But there's a difference between that and mistrust. You can be jealous for your spouse but not mistrust them. You follow the point I'm making? There's a huge difference. In other words, I want my wife to be my wife, but I trust her. I want my husband to be my husband, but I trust him. So there's a big difference between the two. And um, anyway, consider the harsh language that the Lord uses about all these false gods. That's why he's jealous for them. He doesn't want them to go and take part in, in this false religion. And he says, break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles. Why? Because they are always a snare. And it is so easy to fall back into old sin, isn't it? Habits are hard to break. And whatever the old sin is, it's so easy to fall back into it. And like Pastor Frank Jr. often shares, and I would agree wholeheartedly with him, that every once in a while you're laying in bed in the evening and you have those hours of self-loathing. Oh, Lord, why did I do that? Oh, Lord, why did I do this? How many times have we said, I'll tell you what, tomorrow the first thing I'm going to do when I get up is work out. Have you ever done that? Tomorrow, tomorrow's the day. I'm going to work out. I'm going to eat clean and healthy. Tomorrow's the day. And then that next day, that next evening, you say, you know what? Tomorrow's... <laughs> or how many times have you said, why in the world did I waste my time watching the news all evening? All it did was depress me. Tomorrow, I am going to go in, and I'm going to spend time with the Lord in prayer and in the Word. And then the next night you say, why did I waste all... You follow the point I'm making. So it's so easy to fall into bad habits. That's why the Lord is saying, break them down, get rid of them, destroy them, and seek after the things that are Him. I remember, and this is very legalistic, and I'm not telling any of you to do this, but I remember years ago, Vi and I realized what a, a, a temptation um, TV was to us, and we got rid of it. We actually had... I don't know how many years. How many years, five? Do you remember? Quite a few? Five or seven years? We had no TV at all. We didn't even have a TV. And you know what? It was awesome. We actually sat with our kids and played Parcheesi. And we played Candyland. You never want to play Candyland with Stacy, I'll tell you that. But <clears throat> we played all these. We played games. And, and, and we did weird things like we talked to one another. It was really awesome. And then the kids got older, and you know, we thought, well, we can go back to having a TV. But I'll tell you, just to pat ourselves in the back a little bit, we don't have cable. We got rid of cable years ago. All we have is a, it's called a smart TV. <laughs> Chris, we're not very smart to be watching it. But you go on, and you can, you can go on YouTube, and you can see any, anything you want, including news and all kinds of interesting things. But anyway, the point is, what is there in our life? that continually draws us back, that continually draws us back. We have to get rid of it. <clears throat> I remember, and I think I shared this with you a few weeks ago, um, when I first got saved, I was a, a, a very serious drinker. I was a heavy drinker. I was probably an alcoholic when I first got saved. And so what I tried to do was just control it. Okay, I'm not going to drink Boilermakers anymore. I'm just going to drink beer. Didn't work. Okay, I'm not going to drink beer. I'm just going to drink wine, which I'm not crazy about. And I just drank wine to a lot of excess. It wasn't until I came to the place where I said, you know what, Lord? I'm willing and I desire to turn my back on it completely. I don't want to drink any alcohol. 
And I'm not saying it was easy, but the Lord gave me the victory. And the same thing, we're talking over 40 years ago. And the same thing with tobacco. You know, the Lord finally gave me the victory when I said, I'm not going to do it anymore. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are the besetting sins that continue to pull us back in? Maybe we need to take a stand. Understand this, there's nothing wrong with television. There's nothing wrong with you watching a TV show. There's nothing wrong with you watching the news. I'm not saying that. I'm just using it if it's something that pulls you away from being with the Lord. Whatever it is, it's something we have to consider. Because we have to realize that um, God has such a promise for us of heaven. I mean, do you understand that everyone is going to die or be raptured? Every one of us. None of us are going to live forever. I think my mother-in-law is, but I don't think any of us are going to live forever. None of us. We're all going to die. And so, therefore, we have to understand that there has to be something beyond this life because who we are isn't this physical body. You know why? If we were just a body, we'd all be like drones. Where do I go? Mm, Go here. We'd all be like drones. But every one of us, even in the same household, you know, Mike can tell you he has four daughters. Every daughter is different, right? We're all different. We all have different personalities because we're soul and spirit. But whatever our personality is, God designed us to have fellowship and to worship him. And one day, a choice is going to be made. It's appointed unto every man once to die and then judgment. What is that judgment? This child has received me and has had all of his or her sins forgiven. Come and enter into your your master's rest. And... The child who says, I rejected you, God. I don't care about anything you have to offer will enter into his judgment. So it's a great decision we have to make. Because the snare of this life is so real. And the feast of the Lord commands the people to observe uh, along with the presenting of themselves before him three times a year, you know, men presenting themselves, was for the purpose of fellowship and also a reinforcement of his love for them. God doesn't call us together, you know, it's like, you better come to church or I'll strike you with lightning, you evil people. I mean, that's the way I used to preach when I first started. But um, the point is, why does God call us to church? To fellowship with him and with one another. To come together with people of like faith, with other believers. And there's something very special about that being with those who who love Jesus and just worshiping him together. It's a a beautiful thing. Now, um, we have to understand that obedience, when God commands us to be obedient, it's not that of a harsh taskmaster, but of a loving father. Like, if I, I, I've used this example before, but it's the only one I can think of right now. Let's say you live on a very busy street. And you have small children. And it's a busy street and cars are whizzing up and down the street all every day. And you say to your child, you know what? I want to express my love for you by not putting any demands on you. So just go out and play as you will. If you want to run out in the road, go ahead. You would say that is an awful parent who does not love their child. 
But a parent says to their child, I'll tell you what, son, daughter, I love you so much. You have this whole yard that you can play in. You can enjoy every part of it. But don't go out on that street because that would be death to you. And if mommy or daddy catches you going out onto that busy street, you will be spanked or you'll be disciplined in some way. Which one is showing love? The one who says, hey, go on out in the street? Or the one who says, no, here's the guidelines. So we have to understand the guidelines that the Lord gives us is for our own good. I have never, in the many, many years I've been in the ministry, I've never met with anyone who has come in to see me and say, you know what, Pastor? I've lived a life of sin and I just feel good. I just feel good about everything. Never. Usually they come in, their hearts are broken, they're weeping. The ones who... I see joy in are the people who say, you know what? I love Jesus. I make mistakes. I screw up. I mess up. But I'll tell you what. I love Jesus. I get back up and I follow him again. Though a righteous man falls seven times and one day he rises again. That's the sign of being a believer from Proverbs. It's not a matter of never falling. It's the fact that you get back up. And when you get back up, it's not like Monopoly where you have to go back to go. You get up right where you fell down. And you keep walking with the Lord. Get back up and follow Jesus. So that's why the Lord um, is the way he is in giving us his commands because he loves us. And um, we have to understand that um, the evil one, Israel, the enemy of our souls, Satan goes about as a roaring lion seeking to devour who he may. He's looking for a chance to pull us down. And that's the reason we don't want to go out in the road. Because guess who dwells in the road? Satan. In a metaphorical sense, you understand. It's Satan who dwells in the road. We want to stay in the backyard of Jesus. (laughs) His backyard is pretty huge. And there's a lot of openings and a lot of things you can do in that backyard. That's where we want to stay. You go out in the road, Satan's there. He roams about as a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And who may he devour? Those who go outside of the gate. And so we have to realize that we do have an enemy of our soul. That's what Scripture calls it, calls him, and that's Satan. And the Lord commanded Moses then to write these laws down. Why? That there'd be no controversy. This is the reason when you stand, when I stand before you on Sunday morning, when you come into the sanctuary, I have my Bible open, you have your Bibles open, and we go right through the Word of God. The only time I know I'm sharing the truth with you is when I'm sharing the Word of God. If I'm sharing my opinions, my philosophies, you know, my, my psychologies of life, it means nothing. It's only the Word of God that is true. And the Lord commanded Moses to write all these down so that the people could read them and there wouldn't be any changes. Well, I thought you said, well, let's look and see what I said. And then it tells us that Moses was 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain and he neither ate nor drank. And people say to me, it's impossible. I know you can go a lot longer without food, but you can only go three, maybe four days without water. That's impossible. That couldn't have happened. That would have taken a miracle. And I say, yeah. (laughs) Jesus was 40 days and 40 nights. It took a miracle. It was a miracle. Now, I don't think when Moses was up on the mountain, he was 
you know, he had a little chalk, and he said, oh, one more day. I can't wait till this 40 days are over with. Oh, here are 10 days. I don't think Moses was doing any of that. I think he was just enraptured in the presence of God and writing down all of God's laws. I think time just went by. I mean, it just passed by so quickly. You know, I love, it's actually in Genesis 29, 20, if you want to read it sometime. And it's Jacob and talking about Rachel. And it's probably the most romantic thing you'll ever read anywhere. And remember, Jacob was tricked into marrying Rachel's sister, Leah. And then he got mad and protested. And so his father-in-law said to him, well, if you work seven more years, you can have Rachel, whom he really loved. And it says the seven years seemed as a day because he loved her so much. And I'm sure that for Moses, it seemed as a day because he loved the Lord and the way the Lord was speaking to him. The thing we have to understand when we read about Moses and all the other uh, beautiful people that we see in Scripture, that can be us. There's neither male nor female. There's neither slave nor freed nor Greek nor Scythian. There's no difference among people in God's eyes. His love desires to give each one of us everything that we can read about that the patriarchs had and uh, the disciples and, and the apostles and so forth. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we thank you for the love that we have found in Christ Jesus and all the promises that we find in your word. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would take what we have studied this morning and help us apply it to our heart and lives, that we might be your witnesses, that we might have fellowship and relationship with you and also be your instrument of bringing others into the kingdom. And so come and bless us and encourage each one who's here, I pray in Jesus' Yeshua's name. Amen. And amen. God bless you, my friends.